beginning of the process. Uh, oh, there we go. Sorry, I didn't give you a warning there, Pastor Rick, that I was getting ready to start, did I? No, you're you're fine. And it actually said the recording was busy earlier, so it just now allowed me to record. So you're fine. Okay. I, sorry, I forgot about that. Um, all right. Uh, so uh, the next thing we talked about was regeneration. Who can tell me what regeneration is all about? The the new life that we have in Christ, being born again spiritually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And then we talked about repentance. How do we find that? It's our acknowledgement of our sins and then uh, the request for forgiveness. And it's our acknowledgement of needing a savior. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we talk about faith. We got a quiet group this morning. Faith is our uh, our our act of believing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's putting our trust in Christ for salvation. Yeah, and then uh, last week we talked about union with Christ. What is that talking about? No takers. Well, union with Christ, we talked about last time, is uh, just the idea that we are made one with Christ. Um, it's very central to all of the all of our salvation, really, um, and that um, God calls us into union with him, with Himself. He he uh, gives us new life in Christ. Uh, we are united to Christ by faith. And what flows out of that is all of the benefits of our redemption. Um, everything, all of the blessings of God come to us in Christ Jesus. So being united to Christ, we receive all of those things, um, including what we're going to talk about this morning, which is justification. So justification. Um, so we usually start with a definition. Um, definition for justification is pretty simple. It is uh, to declare righteous. Um, now that is a disputed definition, um, and so we're gonna we're gonna talk a bit about that. But that is the definition of justification. It is to declare righteous. Now, one of the things that we talked about specifically in the in the first lesson of the series was some of the the ways that these different aspects of the application of redemption um, differ from each other. You know, some of their some of their characteristics that, you know, one of them's one way and another one's another way. Uh, and one of the things we talked about um, was the difference between things that are legal or forensic 
um, and things that are renovative or transformative. There's there's really like a whole group of words, you know, that have been used historically for both of these categories. Um, but these are these are categories basically that are that are talking about. I mean, if it's renovative, if it's transformative, it's talking about something that has actually changed in us. Um, we talked about regeneration, for example, and that is something that is very much in the renovative category. It's something where God has basically reached in and made a change in us, in our in our nature, in who we are. So we've been transformed. Um, that's the that's the nature of that. Um, but then some of the things that we talk about. Um, don't have any actual impact on us in ourselves, but they have an impact on our legal standing, um, on our our position, as it were, before God. So um, when we talk about justification, specifically, um, it is in the category of of legal or um, or forensic. Um, it's something that does not affect who we are in ourselves, it affects our legal standing before God. And that's a, um, a very disputed, um, very disputed topic. I mean, I guess it depends on what, what circles you're in. Um, but, um, I'm sure many of you are familiar with, uh, the fact that, uh, during the reformation in the, uh, in the 16th century, um, there was, this big dispute between the reformers and the Roman Catholic Church. And this was one of the central issues was uh, was the issue of is justification a a strictly legal thing? Um, and um, and is it simply a declarative uh, type of thing is it is it simply god declaring us as righteous um the the roman catholic church um kind of makes two errors when it comes to justification um in that they will um they will make the claim that it has um it it actually it has the idea of making us righteous um not just of declaring us to be righteous and um, and then they also um, will um, will say that uh, that justification um, it's the best way to put this that it is grounded on us being righteous um, rather than um, something that is stated of us regardless of whether we're righteous or not. So we're going to kind of delve into those things as we go. So um, first things first, let's let's just talk about the idea of justification uh, being to declare righteous. I mean, I've stated that that's our definition, but let's let's look at that scripturally and see if we can see if the the scriptures bear out that idea that justification is the idea of to declare righteous so the first thing um to look at then is proverbs uh chapter 17 verse 15 proverbs 17 15 
Now here, this is a passage that is not specifically speaking of justification in the narrow sense that we're using it this morning, where we're talking about the application of redemption, but really in a broader context. Um, so Proverbs 17, 15 says, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So there we see um, basically instruction from God uh, for uh, for judges, for people who are um, dealing with cases of law. And so there we see like the idea of that this is a legal transaction. Um, so when we see that, it's saying he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination of the Lord. So um, if we're asking the question, does, does justifying mean declaring righteous or making righteous? What would be the consequence if justification meant to make righteous? If we look at this verse and we, and we use that definition of justification, what would be the consequence here? Any thoughts? Well, you're, you're, this verse then would be saying that, you know, he is the one who actually makes righteous the wicked. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, that's, that's not the case. Okay. I mean, how so, can I mean, be righteous, I guess. I'm sorry, say that again? I just said, how can the wicked be, be made righteous? Mm-hmm. You know, by well, yeah, I mean, in a sense, that's something that sort of can be done. If we if we take righteousness in a not like in an absolute sense of perfectly righteous, but I, I mean, is it possible for somebody to um, encounter somebody who is living an ungodly life and have some kind of impact on them where that person becomes more righteous? Yeah, in, in that sense, yeah. Mm -hmm, okay. So, I mean, if let's just say, for example, that that's what this was talking about. So it's someone who helps um, a wicked person to become more godly. And then what's the what's the statement about how God views that? Well, it says it's an abomination to the Lord. Right. So. Would, would that make any sense? It's like you you help someone to live a more godly life and that's an abomination to the Lord. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, so, I mean, we absolutely have to understand this as um, as to declare somebody righteous, uh, to take somebody who is wicked, someone who has done something wrong, and then to say, oh, no, I, I view them as righteous. Um, and then, of course, the reverse of that is somebody who's righteous, someone who hasn't done anything wrong with respect to the law. and to look at that person and to say, oh no, they're guilty. I mean, this is this is a miscarriage of justice, right? This is this is the type of thing that people get in arms of, up in arms about um, when you know when we see uh, what appears to be this type of behavior in our judicial system. Um, we want our judges to um, look at guilty people and say, yes, they're guilty, and look at innocent people and say, yes, they're innocent. Um, and it's I mean, we 
you know, even non-Christians recognize to some degree that that it is a bad thing when people don't recognize that. But it the the only way this passage makes sense is if we view justification in a declarative sense and not in the sense of being made righteous or made wicked. So um another passage um kind of turns it around a different way. This is in Luke chapter seven. But it um it again is intended to show just the impossibility of of viewing uh this word as meaning to make righteous. Uh, Luke chapter seven verse 29 um, this is kind of without context but the 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 main issue we're looking at here is verse 29 um, so it says when all the people heard this and the tax collectors too they declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John now um, that that phrase there uh, they declared God just um, it actually in the in the Greek is they justified God. Um, I know the ESV ha at least has a, a footnote uh, expressing that, and some some translations actually just use um, that they justified God. So, uh, but I mean it's it's the same the same word, same idea, um, and so it's saying that these people justified God. Um, can God be justified? Say so, no, God is the one who justifies. Okay. So why does this passage say that uh, they justified God? Any thoughts? Mm. Think of what we've uh, what we've said. The definition of of what it is to justify. Well, well we could say that God is righteous. Mm -hmm. So, if you use the declarative statement. Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's the idea here is that um, if we understand justification to mean to declare to be righteous, uh, then we can say, yeah, God can be justified. Um, people can look at the actions of God and declare him to be righteous. They can, they can make that pronouncement. Yeah, God is righteous. He has he has just demonstrated it, and I see that, and I am now declaring God is righteous. Now, of course, that doesn't change the righteousness of God at all, does it? Right? I mean, if we understood this as um, to be made righteous, I mean, could anybody make God righteous? I mean, that's ridiculous, right? The the idea that you could make God righteous. God is righteous in Himself. But you can see that he is righteous, and you can declare that he is righteous. Um, 
And that's, I mean, one thing that we see in both of these passages um, is that nobody is their position or their um, their actual state, uh, their actual state of whether they're righteous or not is not being changed. Uh, the the Proverbs passage is very much focused on judges looking at um, people who are coming before them, uh, accused of some crime, and basically looking at it, seeing what is the case, and declaring the truthfulness of the case. That's what they should do. Um, and then in the same way in the Luke passage, you see uh, people who are viewing the actions of God seeing that he's righteous and declaring him to be so. So there you see um, people who are righteous or God who is righteous being declared righteous or people who are um, sinners, uh, people who are, uh, who have committed some lawlessness being declared that that's the case. And so we see in these, in these instances um, that it's, uh, basically a truth about somebody and that truth um, is being declared does that make sense is that is that all clear okay um so next i want to look at uh romans uh chapter 8 um verses 33 and 34 and here, um, it comes much more into the, the category of, of uh, in terms of salvation. Uh, Romans 8, 33 and 34 um, says, uh, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Uh, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, inter, uh, who intercede who indeed is interceding for us. So um, again, we see like a legal setting in this. Um, what is what is justification contrasted with here? What's the flip side of it? Uh, condemnation. condemnation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's condemnation, which is the the um, the same the same word that's used in Proverbs seventeen, right? So we definitely see like a very courtroom legal type language being used here. Um, so again, that's just to support the you know the notion that that um, I mentioned earlier that this is legal language. This is not this is not transformative language. This is legal language. Um, that's just the way that the Bible consistently uses uh, the term justification. Um, and who is it that um, that is acting here when we're specifically talking about uh, justification in terms of the application of redemption? Who is the one who is acting? Passage is pretty emphatic here. You guys see it? I'm gonna have to like ship out some coffee to all you guys or something. 
Christ is the one that acted. He's the one that died. Okay. Mm -hmm. But who's the one that justifies? It says God justifies us. Yeah. It is God who justifies. It's it's very clear. It's God who justifies. Um, so just to just to tie in with like we've kind of looked at this as we've gone as we've gone through the various um, the various parts of the of the application of redemption about it's in faith. Those are things that we do about um, uh, the, uh, the the effectual call. That's you know that's the work of the Father. We talk about regeneration. That's the that's the work of God through the Spirit, um, and here specifically in justification, it's God who is justifying us. Okay. Um. Now, one thing that's interesting, um, especially when you look at the Romans passage versus the uh, the Proverbs and Luke passage that we've looked at already. Um, like I said, the Proverbs and Luke passage were both. Uh, discussing uh the fact uh that that somebody is being justified because whoever's making the judgment looks at them and says that is the case and then they're stating the case the way it is um but it, it's a little different when it comes to um to the the justification involved in the application of redemption um you can flip back to, to Romans chapter 4, uh, verses 4 and 5. Romans 4, 4 and 5. Uh, it says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So there we see justification again. Um, so how are those who are justified described in this passage? What's the word that Paul uses? It's a, it's a blessing to us because it's it's a gift. It's not something that we work for like like it would wages. Right. That is true. Um there's a specific word that Paul uses in describing the people who are justified. It's in verse 5. Right about in the middle. You guys see that? You're talking about being counted as righteous? Is that... Mm -mm. Now in verse 5 it says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. You see that? So there he's, he's describing the ones who are being justified as ungodly. Um, now... Um, Remember that we that we said 
that to justify means to declare righteous, not to make righteous. So God is not making the ungodly righteous, but declaring the ungodly righteous. Now, you guys remember what Proverbs um, 17, 15 said? Said, he who justifies the wicked and he, he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So does that mean that God is an abomination to himself? He's justifying the ungodly, but yet he says, he who justifies the wicked is an abomination. Any thoughts? The Bible full of contradictions? Nobody wants to tackle that one? All right. Well, hopefully we'll see as we go through here um, how this is. But um, the uh, um, really the the idea. Well, let's just let's just go ahead and um, we're going to we're going to spend a little bit of time now in Romans chapter three because it addresses this very much. Um, so flip over to, to Romans chapter three. Um, I guess you're probably pretty close to there if you're still in Romans 4. So Romans 3, um, we're going to look at verse 26 to start with, and then we're going to we're going to back up and look at the at the context a little bit more because there's a whole bunch here. Um, but Romans 3, verse 26, um, it says it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Um, so looking at this, um, I mean, I'm going to ask the question, um, and I'm not sure, maybe, uh, maybe I'm not being as clear as I, as I should be. So let's, let's, let's see if you follow where I'm going. And if not, then no worries. I'll, I'll, um, I'll try to explain it a little more. Um, but here in this, in this verse, verse 26, um, what, what do you think? Paul's concern is in this verse. What's his, what's his main uh, idea that he's trying to convey specifically in this verse? Uh, I'll just read it again here. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And just to give you the, enough of the context, his righteousness is God's righteousness. It was to show God's righteousness at the present time so that he, God, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what's what's the main point that Paul is trying to express here in this verse? Anybody have any uh, any ideas? All right, still no takers. All right. Well, the I think the idea here um, that he's really focused on in this verse um, is uh, the idea that 
in justifying sinners, God is righteous or just. Um, that's the idea. Um, and I mean, I think that he has to state this um, explicitly because of passages like Proverbs seventeen fifteen, uh, because everyone would know it's not a righteous thing. It's not a just thing to justify the ungodly. Um, but somehow God is able to justify those who are not in themselves righteous and still maintain his own righteousness. Uh, he is able to do that. He is able to still be a just God. And God is concerned to demonstrate that, to show the world that he is righteous in the justification of sinners. Does that make sense? Is that, am I being too abstract or anything? Is everybody more or less following? Okay. Um, so let's, let's look at, um, I mean, he says it was to show. Um, so obviously he's got a whole preceding idea, um, that, uh, that leads into this. Um, so we're going to back all the way up to verse 19. Um, and we're going to, we're going to try to pick out a few, uh, things in this whole passage from verse 19 through verse 26 to kind of, uh, build a little framework here that we're that we're looking at in terms of justification so romans chapter 3 beginning in verse 19 it says now that we now we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole the whole world may be held accountable to god Uh, for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So there's kind of the whole passage. Um, So, So I guess the first question is, um, just as we try to understand this passage, um, and I, you know, I apologize, like I've had time to like specifically look at this and I'm just kind of throwing this guy's, th- this at you. So, um, so, uh, what, what is Paul, uh, or what, what is established in verses 19 to 20? What is, what is Paul established there in those first two verses? It's just the, the kind of, Overriding concept. Maybe, maybe the idea that you know we the the law sort of uh, shows us our sin. 
and, and reminds us that we cannot justify ourselves. Right. Yeah. He's kind of laying out the idea that um, gaining a righteous standing before God through the law, it's just not possible. Nobody's going to do it. Right. Um, so he, he sets, he sets that up. Um, and then he presents um, a new concept in verse 21. So verse, verse 21 introduces a new concept. What is this concept that we see in verse 21? Let's read it again as you're thinking. Uh, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Any thoughts? Okay. Justification by faith is there. Um, Looking for something a little more like specific. Um, so, so there is a righteousness, mm -hmm. but it's yeah. not found in the law. It's actually right. something apart from the law. Right. Yeah. So he's introducing this concept of the righteousness of God, um, and um, and it's contrasted right with what you see in verses nineteen and twenty. Uh, I mean, that's why he says, "But now." So you have. The, the righteousness through the law presented in verses 19 through 20, which no one is able to be justified through that righteousness, because nobody can obtain that righteousness. Um, but then in verse 21, he introduces this idea of the righteousness of God and um, justification through faith is available there. Um and there's another idea that's presented in this passage that's, that's definitely very relevant. Um, there's an event referred to in verse 25. What's the, what's the event that, that Paul brings up in verse 25? We spent a whole uh, a whole semester talking about it. Okay, propitiation. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean it's it's the idea of it's the it's the basically the accomplishment of redemption. You know, it's 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 what Christ accomplished on the cross. Um, you know, when we talk about our justification, we're talking about something that happens uh, for each of us at a particular time within our lives, um, but. Here, uh, Paul is tying it all back to what Christ accomplished on the cross. So um, very much a redemption accomplished, redemption applied uh, type idea. So um, in summary, we receive a righteousness that we don't possess. Um, that's the, the concept here. We're, we are justified by faith. Um, and it is by receiving a righteousness that we don't possess. And so when we look at the question of how can God be righteous, how can God be just while justifying the ungodly, it's because we are legally considered to be righteous. 
And so God is not simply looking at us and saying, well, you're ungodly, but I'm just going to call you righteous. Instead, he's looking at us in Christ and he's saying, in Christ, you are righteous. And therefore, I declare you to be righteous. So that, um, that is, um, I think, the, the biblical way to answer the question of, well, how can, how can God justify the ungodly? How can God look at somebody who's ungodly, who's wicked, and declare them to be righteous without himself um, you know, being unjust, without being an abomination in his own sight? Um, and this idea of um, us receiving a righteousness that we don't possess, um, it's referred to as imputation. Um, so God regards us as righteous. And that, that word regards is, I mean, it's the, it's the, same, the same idea as impute. Um, the, the, word, the word impute in the Bible is sometimes translated as regard. Um, so God regards us as righteous, even though in ourselves we're ungodly. So, and again, it goes back to the legal character of it. Um, Isaiah uh, chapter 61.10, you don't have to turn there. I just want to read it. Uh, you can if you want, but um, definitely very much to the point. Um, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. So there we see just the idea presented back in Isaiah of um of us being clothed with a righteousness that we don't inherently possess. Any thoughts or questions before we continue? All right. So the next question is, can we be sure that this um, is the righteousness of another imputed to us? And not our own righteousness that God graciously enables us to do. That's something that um, some people have uh, attempted to present. Um, I mentioned the the Roman Catholic perspective. That's um, that's that's one of the groups that presents something along these lines. Um, basically, that God infuses us with righteousness. He graciously does this and enables us uh, to to live in a way that God can just look at us and say, oh, well, you're righteous because you're living uh, the way you should now. Um, you know, and they would say, oh, yeah, but it's still God's grace. We wouldn't be able to do it on our own. Um, but uh, we would contend, um, anybody who's in the Reformed camp, the Protestant camp, um, would contend that it is not um, a righteousness that is something that we perform, but it is uh, completely the righteousness of another. It is the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. So we are regarded as righteous uh, because we we possess the righteousness of Christ, not because God has made us to actually be righteous. Um, and just a kind of a 
of a, a logical um, argument to that um, before we look at the, the texts that deal with this, but um, a, a righteousness that is wrought in us can't justify us uh, because even if it perfectly sanctifies us for all future time to where like starting right now, you know, when, when God does this to me, I, you know, from that point on, just never sin. Um, it still doesn't blot out the, the, uh, the guilt of past sin. And for us to be acceptable to God, for us to be considered just and right, um, our entire lives need to be perfect holiness. And so even, even if uh, God changed us in such a way that we were made perfectly holy from now to the future, it still would not be sufficient to justify us. But uh, the Bible is actually very clear um, that um, our justification is not based on our works, um, not even our works done uh, by the grace of God, our works done in faith, however you want to express it. It's just very clear that it is not our works at all. Uh, that um, that brings about our justification. So we're just going to do a little survey of several passages of Scripture that address this. It's it's obviously a a major theme of the Bible. Um, I'm just going to kind of just move through these. You can try to follow along if you like, or you can just listen to me read them. Um, so Romans chapter three verse twenty. Uh, We've already looked at that. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So we can't be justified by the law. The, all the law does is just show us that we fall short, that we are sinners. Um, Romans 4, 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So... Um, there, I mean, you know, Paul is making a, a point about um, about uh, Abraham's ability to boast, but he's stating basically that Abraham was not justified by works. You know, God didn't just make Abraham uh, righteous and then therefore justify him on the fact that he then was living righteously. Um, that's just not the way that that works. Um, Romans chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. Uh, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so um, there, it's like, it's it's clear. It's, it's the righteousness of God that justifies us. Um, but uh, speaking specifically of the, the Jewish people, they they were ignorant of this. and so. They sought to establish their own righteousness. They sought to um, be righteous in their own works to justify them before God, rather than to submit to the righteousness of God that he gives. Um, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. 
So there, I mean, it's just just very clear, not justified by works, stated over and over again. Um, on the on the contrary, it's we're justified through faith in Christ, and the the implication there is justification by faith alone. Um, definitely the idea of justification apart from works uh, Galatians chapter 3 verse 11 now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith again just a, a clear denial of justification through the law through works um, and the contrast is that it's righteousness through faith uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. Uh, you are severed from Christ, you who uh, would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. There, I mean, Paul is just like, um, uses really strong language there uh, for anybody who would seek to be justified in God's sight by their own works, uh, by their obedience to the law. He's saying that if that's the direction you go, you're severed from Christ. You can't you can't have a um, a uh, a view of it where, um, well, yes, I'm 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 in Christ, and He is making me righteous so that I obey the law, and therefore I am justified by obeying the law as you know as enabled by Christ. Um, that's simply not the case. Yes, being in Christ, he enables you to obey the law. We're going to talk about sanctification. But um, but Paul says, if you're seeking your justification through that, if you're seeking your justification through your sanctification, you're not in Christ. Uh, you, you are severed from Christ. Um, another passage, um, Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Again, Paul is not counting on um, his own righteousness, his own obedience to the law. He's uh, counting on the righteousness of God. Um, it's not his own righteousness, it's God's righteousness, and he receives it by faith. Um, another passage, and I, I really like uh, this one, is just like a, a really useful one, because uh, I've, I've encountered people who have attempted to get around justification by faith alone and justification by an imputed righteousness um, that, you know, that aren't uh, Roman Catholics. Um, and I remember encountering uh, one particular fellow who um, he, he was uh, very strong on the sovereignty of God, but insisted that, um, that the way that God saved people, uh, say God saves people by basically by sanctifying them um he uh you know sovereignly uh reaches down and changes the person so that they live a righteous life but that their justification is based on their righteous life but you can't take any credit for it 
because it's all God's work in you. Um, and so you, know, you can't boast about it or anything like that. It's not really your work, but it's still, that's what's justifying you is your work, the things you do, but it's all done by the grace of God. And so it's a, it's a very subtle distortion of the gospel. Um, and there's a passage in Luke chapter 18 um, that I think this person had just never really considered before. Um, it's a, it's a well-known passage. Um, Jesus is telling a story um, to basically to illustrate a truth to, uh, to the, the people that he was speaking to. And so Luke chapter 18, uh, beginning in verse 10, says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, uh, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but be his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, frequently, when people teach on this passage, uh, they will rightly focus on the fact that the uh, the Pharisee in this story uh, was basically, you know, listing all his credentials, all his righteousness, all the things that he did to make himself acceptable to God. Um, whereas the tax collector, he wasn't he wasn't looking at any of those things. He was just pleading for mercy. Um, and those are those are all true and wonderful things about this passage. But the thing that just really amazes me about this passage um, is that the Pharisee begins his prayer not with the things he's done, but with thanksgiving to God. And he says, I thank you that I am not like other men. See, this Pharisee was not completely taking credit for his own good works. I mean, he was certainly pointing to all his good works and saying, yep, this is what makes me, this is what makes me a, a good person. This is what makes me acceptable to God. But he was giving the credit for his own good works to God. He was saying, yes, this is all by God's grace. I'm better than this tax collector. I obey God's law, but it's all by God's grace. And I think, you know, in that instance, he was viewing it as like he's not really taking credit for it. Um, and I think that that really answers the um, any any notion of trying to make justification depend on our own works, no matter how much you try to give God credit for doing that work in you. Uh, if you are looking to your own works at all, then you are completely misunderstanding justification. It was the tax collector who looked at himself and said, I, I just don't, I don't have any righteousness and just threw himself upon God's mercy. Any thoughts about any of that? I've kind of gone on for a bit here. We are getting close to out of time, but any, any thoughts, comments? No. Okay. Quiet group this morning. Um, so just look at a, a couple more points here. Um, 
And these are things that have kind of come out as we've talked about various things, but um, it is in Christ that we're justified. Again, this harkens back to last week's study on union with Christ. Um, but Acts chapter 13, verse 38 and 39, um, says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So there again, we see this contrast with obeying the law, trying to be justified by obeying the law. Um, but the solution um, is, is Christ. It's being in him. Forgiveness of sins in Christ. Um, very well-known passage, Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We see union with Christ. That is the solution to condemnation. And again, the opposite of condemnation is justification. Um, it is uh, through Christ's sacrificial and redemptive work. Um, we've, we kind of saw that already when we looked at Romans 3. Um, we also see that um, in Romans 5, 9, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from uh, saved by him from the wrath of God. Um, again, it's a it's a theme that is just spread throughout the whole Bible. Um, and we've we've hit on a lot of verses that um, that show that um, it is by the righteousness of God that we're justified. Again, it's another theme that has popped up in our various passages we've looked at um another one um romans 1 16 and 17 paul says for i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes to the jew first and also to the greek for in it the righteousness of god is revealed from faith to faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith and so that's the righteousness of god that we receive uh, through faith and that is the thing that justifies us um and it is um specifically the righteousness of christ uh his obedience uh romans 5 17 through 19 uh, for if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man jesus christ Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So there, it's our righteousness is from the obedience of one man. It is the righteousness of Christ credited to us. Um, and I obviously prepared too much material, but um, the the other the the final point really is justification through faith, uh, through faith alone. And we've seen that as we've gone through. Um, and really, if any of you have ever studied uh, the doctrine of justification, which I imagine most of you have, you know we just kind of scratched the surface and hit hit some highlights. There's so much more that could be said, um, but Hopefully that's a that's a good uh, look and overview of what it is. 
Um, it is God declaring us righteous. It's not God making us righteous, but it's God declaring us righteousness, uh, declaring us righteous. It is through faith that we received it, receive it. It is a righteousness that is from God. It is the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ. And it is credited to us so that even though we are in ourselves still sinners, um, we are viewed legally by God as if we are righteous. So that is um, that is kind of the summary of, of uh, what justification is. Any final questions or comments? Thank you, Chris. Yeah. Well, thank you, guys. Um, if that's it, then uh, let's uh, close in prayer, and then we can all go to uh, our virtual worship. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for his righteousness imputed to us. Uh, and Lord, we thank you for revealing that to us, for showing us our sin and bringing us uh, to repentance and faith. Um, Lord, I just pray that um, that these would be precious truths to us, that we would uh, delve into them deeply, that we would uh, defend them um, with uh, great vigor, as we, even as we see the apostles doing. Um, Lord, just that they would change our lives. Um, God, we are so dependent on you. Um, these things show us that we are truly unworthy in ourselves. And Lord, I just pray that they would cause us to continuously look to the cross. That they would cause us to increase in, uh, in love for you. And um, God, that you would continue your work in us in all the various aspects of the application of redemption. That you would uh, continue to work in us, to sanctify us, and eventually bring us to glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Thank you. All right. See you guys after church if you want to jump on the other room.